0: It's the True Penny Show, with your host James True Penny Hello, welcome to the True Penny Show, my name is James True Penny and this is my show And today we are going back into the dark, distant time on the beginner's guide to Japanese wrestling uh, We're going to go back to the very first major tournament to occur in Japanese pro wrestling The great granddaddy of the G1, the N1, and the championship carnival, the three big tournaments in Japan. Uh, We thought, I thought it'd be a good idea to look at these, basically because the G1 started yesterday and no one will have time to watch anything yet except for me. So we have a separate show for that. That will be today at the G1 with me, James Trupney. You'll find that every day about eight o'clock in the evening. Um, And well, every day there's a show on, obviously. I'm not going to do it if there's no shows on. Because it would just be me talking about being a teaching assistant, which isn't that interesting. Um, From a wrestling fan point of view, if you were a teaching assistant, it would be quite cool. Maybe. Uh, But for now, we're going to go back in time. We're going to have one last special before we get into Paul on G1 mode. And to join me today is Mr. John Dinsdale. How are you, sir?
1: Very, very confused.
0: Yes. John did describe this early 50s wrestling as like wrestling LSD earlier. And when you hear what happened in the first JWA Grand Final of the World League, uh, you will understand how confusing it was for John. We're also going to look at a championship carnival from 1980 and the second JWA World League from 1960. We thought the big number years, 60, 80, and then 40 years later. So, John. Let's start with the JWA. Did you know anything about the JWA before we got kicked off?
1: I did not. I assumed there'd always be some kind of precursor tournament before, say, Noah and their and NJPW started building their tournaments, but as to what that company would have been, no idea.
0: Okay, then. So I will give you a quick recap of what the JWA was. There was wrestling in Japan before the JWA, but the JWA... Was- kind of like the Toots Mont, um, Billy Sandow, Ed Strangle Lewis moment of Japanese wrestling. They had backing from large business people, shall we say, to run a wrestling promotion based around Ricky Dozan. Ricky Dozan was a actually Korean sumo wrestler. I don't want to use Korean because no. <laughs> uh, in post-war Japan, he ask. Had- uh, was uh, had to retire from being SEMA after falling out with his boss and went and became a professional wrestler and was trained by Odd job the James Bond villain of the 1960s from Goldfinger and was trained by him and did a load of stints in the US. Got backers when he got back to Japan and started a professional wrestling company called JWA, Japanese Wrestling Association. And it was the precursor to both all Japan pro wrestling and new Japan pro wrestling. So the JWA lasted for quite a long while. It started in the mid-1950s and went on to about 1970-ish or 73-ish when New Japan Pro Wrestling was founded um, because Ricky Dozen had two protégés. That would be your Antonio Inoki and your giant Baba, who were both quite famous for starting New Japan Pro Wrestling. and all Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, Inoki, uh, Inoki had a fallout and left the company uh, and started New Japan in 1973 and when Inoki out of the way Baba essentially started his own company but essentially it was kind of taking over the JWA obviously a lot of oil wrestlers to Inoki went with them to New Japan and the remainder stayed with Baba when Baba started a new company and the JWA just became just basically folded because the JWA was uh, not there was no stars there was no point everybody had gone to work everybody else so the JWA kind of folded in on itself but the tradition of the jwa is felt very much in both new japan pro wrestling or japan pro wrestling and pro wrestling noa even dragon gate and ddt run in annual tournaments so do stardom uh, though their tradition comes more from the, the more from the all japan women side of professional wrestling Um, So, really, it it was a big deal when the JWA started a tournament. Now, there was a lot of legacy within that company. Ricky Dozon was an incredible draw, arguably the most popular wrestler in the world in the 1950s, just by sheer numbers. His matches got 93% of the television viewing audience in Japan. Now, bearing in mind, not that many people owned television sets in 1955. And the fact that, you know, there was probably only two or three channel channels, but Nippon TV was, he was one of Nippon TV's biggest stars. They had paid, they had did buy into the company, into JWA. And when you are looking after a two or three years of being affiliated with the NWA and having ha- headlining matches with Luthers, you kind of need to change things up. You need to have some sort of direction for the company. And the obvious thing to do based on the sumo tradition, which is where Ricky Dozan came from, was to have a big tournament because Sumo is entirely based around tournaments. Has that filled in the gaps for you, John? Because I feel like I've talked an awful lot.
1: I mean, some of the the booking makes a lot more sense now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, we've done... Yes.
1: I just remember messaging you saying, I swear these tournaments are just an elaborate way to get Ricky Dawson off." offer. Yeah? And it, it, it now makes a lot more sense, considering the entire company's basically built around him as a top star.
0: Yeah, basically. He was the Hulk Hogan of his day, and he was somewhat derided later in his career for not being, not getting out of the way. He did pass away in the 60s, uh, unfortunately, when uh, having um, a bar fight with a Yakuza who stabbed him, with, uh, and uh, he ended up dying of poisoning a couple of days later. I video. remember
1: reading about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there is a great film. And you used to be able to find it on YouTube with subtitles called Ricky Dozan, which was the story of Ricky Dozan, which had some great performances in with Keiji Muto as of job and Shinya Hashimoto's in it as well. And Rick Steiner.
1: That sounds amazing.
0: <laughs> you should really watch it. It's a good, it's a good uh, show. It's a good film. It's well put together with, with a kindly eye to professional wrestling. Obviously, Ricky Dozan set the tone for wrestling promoters in Japan. He was a bit of a heavy drinker, had a short temper, and was a womanizer. However, <laughs> as the man of Japanese wrestling, uh, he was the biggest draw, and this kind of set this tone. Now, JWA had a working relationship with the NWA. Luthers was a big proponent of uh, Ricky Dozan and essentially helped build the territory in the 1950s. Um, because he wanted another market to go wrestling and it was more money for the NWA. And he was, him and Sam Mushnick were very smart to associate with the JWA and it was kind Japan was kind of considered one territory rather than, you know, the, the different States and cities and towns that the U S was considered different territories. Japan was considered one territory by itself, despite the fact it has a similar population to the United States in a much smaller compact area. <laughs> but, uh, JWA was the NWA affiliate. They also had a working relationship with the San Francisco office, which was at this point still NWA affiliated, though in future years it would not be as NWA affiliated as all that. Uh, but for now, in this particular instance, Roy Shire's San Francisco promotion was heavily involved with JWA, which is the reason why they got so many car on this particular tournament. Um, we had uh, Sandra Singh. Danny Pletchus, King Kong Crazier, James Blair's, that's Lord James Blair's who was the authority figure in the AWA in the 80s, Kachiki Endo, who was Japanese, Toyon Bari, Toyo, who was considered a Japanese wrestler but was actually from Hawaii, Enrique Torres, Mr. Atomic, Clyde Stevens to his mum, Jesse Ortega and Ricky Dozan. They were in the tournament. Now, the video we have doesn't have all the matches as the final night, night 19, just like the G1 is today. Night 19 was the final night. And there was some insane booking on this final night, but let's start with the first match, which was Atomic beating Ricky Dozan uh, in a a three fall match by a disqualification. Well, it wasn't a three fall match, but it was by a disqualification. Interestingly, they had rounds like British wrestling. But it was kind of American rules with five-minute rounds, which was a bit weird. Is this weird hybrid going on? What did you think of this match, John? Before we get to the finish,
1: um, it was it was okay. I I'm actually trying to wrap my brain thinking about it because I can mainly just remember the the main event because of how bloody chaotic it got.
0: <laughs> well. F- Well, the match itself was a normal wrestling match and relatively low key, except Mr. Atomic kind of riled up Ricky Dozan to the point where he attacked him, demassed him, which is obviously a disqualification. Oh, no, I should say first, there was a ref bump to start with. And then Danny Pletius, who was one of the wrestlers in the tournament, came out to referee the match, which was quite all right with both of them, apparently. Uh, He refereed the match straight up and down the middle. Uh, Ricky Dozan then went crazy on uh, Mr. Atomic, who hadn't done anything that bad, I didn't think. Cheated a bit. Um, Ricky oh,
1: busted his... him open, didn't he?
0: Yeah, and he then
1: was... proceeded
0: uh... to bust Mr. Atomic open and was bleeding profusely. Uh, at which point, Danny Pletchers was given no choice but to disqualify the biggest star in the company, Ricky Dozan.
1: Yeah, I see. Once you said experiment, I'm like, of course, because other. With the JWA stuff, my um, brain is more occupied with the sort of weirder stuff we'd see later down the line that I forgot how good a wrestling match this was. Yes. Like just in general, this this is straight up traditional Japanese pro wrestling and it's pretty damn enjoyable. Even yeah. if uh, Ricky Dozan went completely mental <laughs> partway through it. Like, I remember watching it and I'm just like, Oh, wait, he's bleeding. What the hell just happened? <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: it was by the standards of the time. It's, it's not like Ricky Steamboat versus Ric Flair, let's be honest. However, you know, by the standards of the time, it was a perfectly enjoyable wrestling match. And the fans were really into it. They really did enjoy it. And this was back in the time when, you know, all the fans are male. Undoubtedly, there is not a woman in the building.
1: <laughs> I see some with people. Sorry? You can see some in the crowd. They're probably with their own husbands.
0: Yes, but not many, are there?
1: I mean, it's they, heavily ratioed against them, but
0: yeah. Whereas, where you go to a New Japan show now, and at least forty percent of the crowd is female. Some places sixty. Whereas back then, it was still not necessarily the to-do thing for a lady to go see the violence. But um, yeah, the crowd were definitely into it, and it was it was a roller kit match once it got kicked off took a while to get going, but once it got going, it was very good. And you kind of expect this. This is the standard they were setting. Like, you know, we expect to see the best matches of the year in the G1. People save their energy for it. They build up to it. This is where their year is going to be set. So, yeah, I thought it was. Any other comments on this semi final?
1: Just, yeah, I apologize for getting about it for a second because it was <laughs> actually one of the better matches I saw out of the two JWA tournaments. Yeah, and then because it, it, there was enough to it for it, like they showed the entire match, which yeah. is something that we struggled with with the second tournament. <laughs>
0: well, that's the first semi final. The second semi final was Jesse Ortega versus Enrique Torres, um, which was fine, except we didn't see much of it, it was heavily edited down. But they are gauging, so therefore, why do we need to see them wrestle? Um, but remarkably they went to a half-hour draw. Which, in a match where you need a clear winner, you'd think someone would go, let's have a no-time limit match. I mean, I'm all for time limits, don't get me wrong. I am the guy who says, you know, more wrestling should have time limits. because It makes more sense. You don't have matches that just go on forever. Yeah? Uh, However, having a time limit match in a match where you desperately need a winner makes no sense.
1: Yeah, it's a bit ass backwards.
0: It was a bit strange, which makes the final even more strange, unless you've got any comments on the short highlights we saw of that match.
1: Not really. It was more of kind of what we saw. A lot of traditional sort of wrestling.
0: Yeah. And then in the main event, Ortega and Torres had a coin toss to see who would go through to the final. It was Ortega who wrestled Ricky Dozan, who got disqualified in the previous round. Well because uh, because Mr Atomic was that badly injured, Ricky Dozan got to have another go. Which... I thought I disqualified meant disqualified myself.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was really confused once this because i 'cause I'm kinda like, hang on a sec, I thought t'other guy won, how the hell is And mm-hmm. then I was sort of checking the the sort of fact sheet you gave me, I'm just like, wait, Atomic got injured so Ricky does That Yeah. <laughs> Sorry was at... this Booked by Gator
0: <laughs> We're looking at ProWrestlingHistory.com Supercard Japan JWA World If you want to find it If you just put JWA tournaments It comes up straight away uh, Yeah It was just Weird just Why the bare... hell Has
1: nobody else Done this If it works so Effectively Oh what's that I, I lost around Right let's just Injure my opponent So badly <laughs> I get put through Anyway <laughs> That's Wait, So weird of-
0: yeah it just doesn't make any sense but you can see how important it was for this the the company and they treated it really well they had a nice trophy didn't they have a lovely trophy didn't it look cool
1: trophy but i mean you kind of threw the rules out the window
0: (laughs) (laughs) or basic logic to have window. Oh, we've got to have a winner. Let's do it as a time. Let's give it a half hour time limit. Yeah, but there you go. And Ricky Dozan's performance in the final was quite fun. Ortega was a good person to go against. Ortega wrestled as a as a working heel. He had to work subtle heel, but was generally a baby face. And he was the right guy to go up against Ricky Dozan, a much bigger, stronger opponent, uh, which gave Ricky Dozan something to work with as a baby face underneath. And you definitely see Ricky Dozan's appeal as a character for baby face, don't you?
1: Yeah, it was a great match. I just you're sort of continuously compounded by the fact that neither of these guys really belong in the final.
0: <laughs> one beat I... the opponent
1: before and the other one got disqualified. It's like at that point you kind of, your tournament's kind of moot because the rules have gone so far out the window.
0: Tony Borough <laughs> should have won this tournament, is what we're saying.
1: It's what I'm feeling is it's like they went into this without like, right, Ricky Dozan's gonna win. And mm. then Ricky Dozan messed up, got himself disqualified, and they're like, We've still gotta get Ricky Dozan to win. Let's let's just pretend his opponent got injured and have the last round be so confusing that everyone forgets that Ricky Dozan got DQ'd.
0: Also, we'll point this out before we go any further. As far as bending the rules to the hometown advantage, the Japanese wrestlers didn't have to wrestle each other in the round-robin portion of the tournament.
1: Which seems like you're depriving your audience of some pretty decent matches.
0: Yeah, because Ricky Dozan only had seven matches, which he was undefeated in, whereas someone like Sandra Singh, who finished last, had to wrestle nine matches because he had to wrestle the Japanese guys, where the Japanese guys didn't have to wrestle each other.
1: Which... Just seems like a really weird rule.
0: It does sound slightly insane.
1: It's like, oh, we want a Japanese guy to win. How do we do that then? Well, we'll make the guardians fight more matches. Yeah, but then what? We'll, <laughs> that make our fighters look weak. What do you want about? They're gonna win. It's like, yeah, but they fought less matches. <laughs> I really want to hear the board meetings for this meeting. Sorry, it's <laughs> what the. F- Booking
0: meeting for the JWA World League final. Yeah, this this was like so. What we're gonna have is we're gonna get all of these top wrestlers to make it look really important. We're gonna get ten of them, but the Japanese guys don't have to wrestle each other. Any any reason why? No, no, just 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 so they don't.
1: The weird thing is though, they're like right. We've got some of the best wrestlers in the world. Let's make some of them look like cannon fodder. Yeah. Like, what? But we've just claimed they're the best in the world. And not everyone has to win all the time. It's like, yeah, but how how can we claim they're the best in the world if they get knocked on their ass in, like, 10 seconds? It's like, hmm.
0: <laughs> the more you
1: dig into this, the less sense it makes.
0: Clearly, it worked. The JWA was the biggest thing in pro wrestling in Japanese history and continued to get mega television ratings for the next 10 years. So I guess we can't complain. It's
1: entertaining, just... Completely illogical
0: Which brings us to The second annual World League In 1960 <laughs> Now we didn't, There isn't TV footage Unfortunately which would have improved the situation No better, there is newsreel footage Of the entire tournament But as you can imagine it is edited Highlights, very edited Highlights of the whole tournament With little bits of matches here and there Even the final is cut down to A very short period of time However, it does show you how the tournament had grown. It was 14 entrants, not 10 this year. So there was a bigger field and therefore more prestige. And there were some big names in this particular tournament. Obviously, also the standard of the Japanese wrestlers had come up. There was more Japanese wrestlers in the tournament. Um, but again, the Japanese wrestlers didn't wrestle each other. They only wrestled the Gaijin. Um And therefore, the, the, the winner of the tournament, the tournament section was Ricky Dozan with an 8 and 2. 8 0 and 2 record. And Leo Nominelli who had won two more matches than Ricky Dozon, finished second on the percentages rule. <laughs> so that was weird. <laughs> but you go, we should go? but rather than going through the matches because there isn't any matches, we can say person by person what we thought of them. Uh, Ricky Dozan we'll get to in the final and the Niam- because he was he was quite good. Sonny Myers was in there? Any thoughts on Sonny Myers?
1: Uh, Considering commentary was in Japanese, it was sometimes quite difficult to work out which wrestler was which wrestler. Yeah. The ones I recognize the most were Ricky Dawson, obviously. Hombre Montana, because they built him up like a monster, and I think he had the most screen time out of anyone. Uh, Bob Orton, obviously. But, like, Sonny Myers... Like So this is where I said I was gonna struggle with because it's like <laughs> I suck with like old wrestling. Like yeah. all these people that are legends and really respected, I'm too young to know a half of them. <laughs> it's like then you throw in the ones that are so outrageous, like Hans Herman, Goose Stepping Around a Ring. I'm gonna guess that one. Oh and yeah. Just, uh
0: Giving a Nazi salute as well before his match with an Iron Cross on his tracksuit, he was not uh, per what we shouldn't have been wrestling. To be honest with you, Sonny Myers was uh, out of Chicago. He was from uh, Savannah, Missouri, and wrestled a lot in the Midwest. Uh, So there were some big names in this tournament. It's just that yeah, it's big names for the time, and it wasn't like this was. They were all out of the San Francisco territory, and who was there at the time and. You know, there's a lot of... It's, Bob Orton Sr. is probably the biggest name we know of, and that's more to do with Randy Orton than Bob Orton Sr., let's be honest. The great Togo, though, uh, was, you know, um, was, of course, a WWF tag team champion with Mr. Fuji.
1: I think the, the biggest problem with something like this is because you've got a lot of guys coming out the same territory with the same ring gear and yeah. the same sort of fighting style.
0: And but the same flat
1: top haircut. <laughs> it's really difficult to tell them apart, especially when you've got no sort of indicator. Like, yeah. I was basically tuned into commentary to try and work out who was who. And mm-hmm. obviously, Ombre Montana is a very sort of easy name to pick out. And to be honest, he was one of the more unique looking people because he was a bloody tank, <laughs> a very vicious tank. Just... Ombre
0: Montana is a good name as well. Yeah. names go. This is what I miss is like gauging with really outlandish names in Japanese tournaments. Um, uh, I see Ombre Mantalan's wrestling database on Cage Match. He hasn't got a he hasn't got a uh, more's the pity, he hasn't got a Wikipedia page. Uh he was a singles wrestler from the Southern America. Uh it was also known as Howard Finkelstein. So he was Jewish then. And Ivan Zelinsky, and also possibly Russian. Uh, his finisher was the Southern American Crusher.
1: Um, to be honest, it sounds like a move name now. <laughs>
0: and, and started in Mexico in 1938. And yeah. this, was, this was his final year in wrestling. He wrestled throughout the 1950s and 40s and 50s and recorded matches and then really kicked off his career in '51 um and wrestled a ton of matches uh 58 all over the place um nwa jwa uh cmll he was a big name in cmll so there you go
1: i can see why he was really good he was one of the most entertaining people to watch in my opinion and he was a great heel as well yeah so since I suck at the wrestlers. I'm going to sort of talk about the bit that was sort of the biggest contention point between me and you for this. Go on, then. Right, the way this is edited and recorded and put together, it feels a lot less like a wrestling sort of documentary. There he is. There's Hans Hermann doing the goose step and the Heil Hitler. Why? Why did they let you do that? That's... Oh... (laughs) It's like, if you're going to be a heel, you, yeah, be a heel, but you don't need to rely on the long-dead Nazi gimmicks. But, yeah. sorry, the way this was put together made it feel like a Laurel and Hardy film to me, because so much of it feels like it's sped up. Like, all the movements feel exaggerated, and I can't tell if it's just the missing frames when they've been editing the film together. And then yeah. there's all this miscellaneous footage of them sightseeing and eating and acting like friends and stuff like that, and you're kind of like, hang on a sec, is isn't this the 50s? Like, oh, sorry, the 60s. Wasn't kayfabe like the strongest thing in existence?
0: Yeah, it, it was. However, the, bear in mind, not all, all the gaijins were supposed to be friendly, quote, unquote.
1: But, but you're right. Just... Sorry, go on.
0: I was going to say, you're right. It, protecting kayfabe wasn't the great thing, but equally, it was kind of traditional to show like the grand gesture in promoting a wrestling match like if you knew you had a film crew coming of course you would find them the finest restaurant to go and eat in and there would be formal presentations to be had that's the did you did you hear the story about uh, mar rocco when he made, made his debut in new japan
1: i have not but i can imagine
0: <laughs> well he lands at the they negotiated a start date for him he gets the plane they send him an airline ticket and when he gets there, a guy meets him on the plane and says, when you land, you have to put this mask on. And it was the black tiger mask. And when he gets off the plane, the press is waiting for him. And a car has pulled up to the, to the steps of the plane. And he get, he was walks down, he waves to the press, and he gets in the back of the car. Somebody comes into the car and sorts out his passport. And, come, and then he's driven off, limousined away. Because it's the grand gesture. You have to make the grand gesture. That's why they were doing that.
1: I suppose it's how they sort of to like look at what we can do. We've brought in these guys and we've shown them the greatest time around. Come work for us.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's part of that, and partly to show like um, how well the wrestlers are paid and treated within the company as well. You know, back in the early days of the JWA, they used to do, well they did it in this show, open top tours with um, uh, with uh, soft top cars to show off the wrestlers. was still part of the, the big promotional scene um i think they should bring that back
1: personally <laughs> yeah i mean it must be nice to know that your wrestlers are paid well and not having third-party income sources <laughs> or getting awful contracts when moving up to the main roster oh god it's, it's such a shame that wrestlers get treated properly <laughs> well we yeah. were
0: which- they were treated properly there i do know that ricky dozan was considered a very generous payoff guy because he wanted the best wrestlers and it was a tradition that baba would take to ajw not so much in inoki but in inoki always looked after his wrestlers no i've never heard anyone complain about the money they've got in japanese wrestling ever It's always considered quite you know there's some of the smaller promotions i know uh to um uh Tajiri was notably to be a bit tight with Crush um, because he didn't have any budget, basically. Hence, the reason why he got a load of lesser-known Asians and people did long tours because they were to pay for their own plane tickets and stuff. But generally speaking, the bigger companies always look after their employees. You know, um, I could. Well, Carl Anderson was uh, quite vocal about the fact he was earning six hundred thousand dollars a year at his Pika Bullet Club. You know, as a top level tag wrestler and singles wrestler, which is a good payday for a professional wrestler in this day and age. Pre-tax, obviously. But yeah. So yeah, so that was that. And the, we got a final of uh Nomalini. That will be um Leo Nomali- Nomalini. Nomalini. Pronounce his name Nomalini. That was one. He pinned Ricky Dozan. Uh, in a best of three falls match. And then Ricky Dozan pinned him back, and Ricky Dozan took the winning fall after, by a countout, of course, because couldn't possibly have like a pinfall finish. Eight minutes and 58 for the first fall, 10 minutes and nine seconds for the second fall, and 15 minutes and 11 seconds for the winning fall. Uh, so they went at it for around about ooh, 35 minutes. It's like modern standards wrestling match, isn't it? Really? But you could easily see the G1 fight climax go in 45 minutes.
1: Okay, Ricky Dawson's pin is actually quite clever. Because he, um, he basically is... hits a full Nelson suplex off as um, Nomalini tries to kick off the turnbuckle and just pins him. It's pretty... I...
0: Yeah, it's very novel. Normalini also uh, drop-kicked him before the bell. Which I, which I tweeted out to uh, Rocky Romero was sneak, Sneaky Styles' 60th anniversary at the G1. <laughs> but yeah, I, it was a good wrestling match. It was well worth watching. It was pretty intense, and it was a lot more technically challenging than the previous year's effort.
1: Yeah. If it wasn't for the sort of weird presentation of it, then yeah. I think it's really, really damn think, fun.
0: I think this is the issue, is you get so much protection. Um, I'm like I'm just looking uh I'm looking at the the, the pro wrestling histories um store um uh, history of the GAWA World League. If you look at the third year, no, Ricky Dozon was seeded to the final due to winning the previous leagues. So he didn't have to wrestle anybody else in the third year because he'd won the previous two.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, what <laughs> yeah, th- uh, yeah this is just a pyramid scheme to get Ricky really and <laughs> multiple tournament wins over the years isn't it the-
0: yeah Carl uh, Gotch was in that tournament as well he finished second uh, Mr X Bill Millery was the winner Tony Burrow had per- perennially fourth place finisher Kichiki Endo, Ike Ekins, the great Antonio uh, who was one of wrestling's great monsters? That he was in it as well. Uh, the the Toshi Togo or um, Odd Job. He was in it. Harold Sakata, between Bond movies at that or before Bond movies at that particular point. Uh, and yeah, it, it's unknown why some wrestlers had more matches than others, but there were four wrestlers who didn't win anything in that one. They got hammered. Hercules Ramirez funny. got Hercules Ramirez did not win a match and had one tie.
1: So, this is basically the. He's basically the Yoshihashi of the tournament.
0: Yes, basically. <laughs> oh, no, I think he's going to be the Yujiro of the tournament, to be honest with you. Yoshihashi yeah. has had a pretty good, pretty good G1. The fourth year of the tournament, Wardy Lordy. How about like this for a lineup? Looking at the fourth year here, we'll not go through all of them, but this one's a K- Oki, Kenji Inoki, um, that's Antonio Inoki to you and me, Hideyuki Nagasawa, Toss if I look at this a bit better, Tosunahana, The Great Togo, Arnold Scarland, as in Bob Backlund's manager, Arnold Scarland, Kachiki Endo, Mr. Atomic was back, clearly no hard feelings there, Michiaki Yoshimura, Duke Duke Hoffman, Tony Borow slipped down to seventh, Classy Freddie Blassie was sixth, Larry the Axe Hennig, that's uh, Kurt, Kurt Hennig's dad, uh, and obviously um, uh, Kurt... Yeah, I'm trying to remember what his grandson was called. Uh, Curtis kid. Axel. Curtis Axel, he was his granddad, yeah. Mike, Mike Sharp, not Iron Mike Sharp, the, the, the good Mike Sharp. <laughs> Buddy Austin, Dick Hutton, and the winner of the round robin with 11 wins was Luthers. But let's face it, who was beating Luthers in
1: 1961?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Luthers and Ricky Dozan had a best of 3-4 final that went for 47 minutes damn
1: that's, that's a fight 12-33, and then
0: 1925. The 25 last, the last fall was longer than some G1 finals <laughs> so there you go um, but yeah, and then the next year they got really big names in, I don't want to go through all of them but you can see how the tournament grows and because it grows it, it brings bigger names in. Uh, in the fifth tournament in 1963, Killer Kowalski won the round robin. Giant Baba's first, first big tournament was in that one. Um, and again, Ricky Dozan got a bye to the final, funnily enough. <laughs> um, trying to think. Of course, in 1963 is the year that Ricky Dozan passed away. Um, so there was going to be a new winner in the sixth annual World League. Tony Burrow won that World League after trying so hard for so many years. He had a 7-0 finish. And uh, Gene Kaninsky, who was, by then, he was well on his way to the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Um, But you do start to see patterns appear in the seventh version in 1965. Two blocks, Japanese wrestlers in one block, Gaijin's in another block. The winner was one block versus the next. Now, where have we seen that before?
1: on. The two-block format, or the Gijin's first Japanese format?
0: The the two-block format.
1: (laughs) Well, Pretty much every tournament that exists now.
0: Yeah, and that's the way it stayed, all the way through to the World League. Uh, Some big names continue to grow. Obviously, the Destroyer uh, would get to the final in 1967. He would lose to Giant Baba. That would be Giant Baba's first international, big international tournament win uh Kola kowalski versus baba in 1968 baba won that uh antonio inoki versus bobo brazil in 1969 and inoki beat that um oh hang on yeah that was that um the 12th annual world league giant baba uh beat pinned don leo jonathan uh one of um jim ross's favorite wrestlers and some other people we're going to talk about in the 1971 World League, Abdullah the Butcher won the one block and Giant Baba won the other block. Giant Baba will win the tournament. Um, 1972, Gorilla Monsoon and Giant Baba in the final, in a best of three falls final that also went for over 45 minutes. I can't imagine watching Gorilla Monsoon wrestle for four. I don't think Gorilla Monsoon could move for 45 minutes, to be honest with you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they I went, imagine it's just a lot of walking and headlocks. Uh 24,
0: 32, yeah, 42 minutes. No, just yeah, just about forty-five minutes. Good lord. Ah, oh, Baba could go back then. I think Baba was carrying it, I'll be honest with you.
1: That's what I mean. <laughs> it's probably just a lot of walking and headlocks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that was the rough history of the JWA World League, and after 1973, Giant Baba was clearly the biggest star in JWA but had no stake in the company, like Ricky Dozen had done in the past and wanted stake in the company. So he started his own company, All Japan Pro Wrestling, which began a new set of traditions. And the tradition for All Japan Pro Wrestling was to have a spring tournament called the Championship Carnival, which is what we're gonna talk about next. We're looking at the 1980 edition of the Championship Carnival. Not all the matches are available on YouTube. However, I have done a playlist of some big name matches. Uh, and some TV presentations so what did you know the championship carnival before we started John
1: well my um, history of AJPW is pretty limited like I'm familiar with the product and a lot more of the sort of modern incarnation of it like I always Mm. see a lot of buzz around the championship carnival every year but this was the first one I've actually ever watched because all Japan is is like nowhere to me. I like the stars in it. I like the star like the style of fighting, but I only ever really see it when they're on another show. It's like yeah. when the violent giants were in BJW. That that was amazing. And things like that. But like I've never really sat down and watched All Japan. Which probably sounds like blasphemy, but <laughs> it no, does anyone no, I... expect anything different at this point.
0: Well, no, because it's like there's a lot of old Japan to have a crack at. You know, they're coming up in, in three years' time. Will be their fiftieth anniversary. That's a lot of wrestling to have, to have pick from. And to be honest, the 1980. The reason why I picked the 1981 was because it kind of give you a snapshot of where All Japan Pro Wrestling was in 1980. We haven't looked at a championship carnival before, and this was the easiest one to find videos for, and it's got some big names in it but there was some dross as well. By this point, All Japan Pro Wrestling wasn't really firing on all cylinders, and Baba had come to a bit of a creative drought. However, he had some big names to get by with, and this is really where he made a lot of the investment money for when All Japan Pro Wrestling really turned the corner in the late 80s, early 90s, and a lot of the big names reinvented themselves as powerhouse muscle wrestlers. But this is a much more genteel affair in sports, isn't it?
1: It's... um. It was very weird. Like, I already made the... Did Gedo book this joke? But I feel like it applies here as well because of some of the antics you see in, like, the earlier matches.
0: Yeah. I mean, this, this, the show starts off... Uh, with a video called Championship Carnival 1980 Night 1 featuring Jumbo, Saruta, Terry Funk and Giant Baba, Which it does. Uh, that is true. There is a big opening ceremony which is hosted by Lord Blaze, funnily enough. He was... Um, Lord James Blears was part of the Pro Wrestling, Pacific Wrestling Federation Advisory Board. He was the the um what's the word, the authority figure for all Japan pro wrestling at the time, as he would be for the AWA, some a little bit down the line. Oh, there was one thing we didn't mention on the JWA show, Lord James Blears actually wrestled on that from nineteen fifty nine, and it was it was a really interesting technical wrestling tag match. We didn't mention it because it wasn't part of the tournament, but it was interesting to to see him wrestle. I'd never seen him wrestle before, and it's like, he's pretty cool. I like watching
1: him. That tag match got some of the most sort of screen time in the entire video we watched.
0: Yes, a meaningless tag match between four people who didn't do very well in the tournament.
1: (laughs) But, I mean, it was a nice tag match.
0: Yeah, it was a good tag match. Uh, I'm currently looking at Lord James Blizzle as I'm watching it to the side. He's got some big names in this tournament um you've got your terry funk there you've got your jumbo saruta you've got most of the old japan roster of the heavyweights there's terry funk staring straight down the camera to one side because he's slightly off kilter now it's the opening ceremony does go to pot when abdul the butcher decides to attack terry
1: funk which will become a common theme throughout the tournament
0: <laughs> and indeed terry funk attacking abdul the butcher um but yeah, so the first match on this particular card, after we, Abdullah and Terry tear the place up, is in fact Jumbo Saruta uh, wrestling. I'm trying to see who it is, is the blue tights, I think. Who was the guy wrestling? Carl Fergie. Carl Fergie, yes. I've not heard of Carl Fergie before. I've obviously heard of Jumbo Saruta. He's quite famous.
1: Um, however... Jumbo Saruta's just flattened Carl Fergie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: Carl Fergie... In the traditional earlier to early 80s turquoise that the unfortunate wrestlers the world over seem to be lumbered with. I can't understand Like you go to a seamstress and say, I want some new gear. What color do you want? Turquoise. Because nothing spells jubber like turquoise tights in 1980. Um, yeah, Jumbo here doing a triple backbreaker. Literally just muscling Fergie up off of his leg three times and hurling him around the ring. Because Jumbo was actually a double bastard. He was a former <laughs> Olympic gold medalist. What's your thoughts on this first match?
1: Well, it, it's a very torn setting isn't it? Because Saruta <laughs> just destroys him. It's like two minutes of footage, and it's all just Saruta killing off Verki. <laughs> yeah, the, a the nice bit... slow mo of the uh, double underhook suplex that finishes the match. But like, yeah. It's... It doesn't go well for Rolf Fergie there, does it?
0: No, really, no. no. Uh, Jumbo, at this point, was kind of not the biggest star in all Japan pro wrestling, but he had a good run. He'd won the Florida Championship, I think, or he won the United, United National Championship, which was one of the, the three titles that would go on to make the Triple Crown. He'd been a big name in Florida. He's done his training with the Funk Brothers in Texas. And was actually the first baby faced Japanese wrestler of the post-war era, because he was just that good. The Texas fans loved him. Texas known for its open-minded uh, open-minded um uh what's the word I'm looking for there? You know, uh diverse attitudes, professional wrestling. Uh but yeah, they loved they loved them some Saruta in West Texas. Uh the next matchup is. The boss, Giant Baba, who, who's looking very suave in his, his silk dressing gown and his nicely quaffed hair, and he is going to wrestle
1: the mysterious on, assassin,
0: the mysterious assassin, Bobby Jaggers, our good old friend Bobby Jaggers. If you go back and listen to Dara and me talking about the uh, Puerto Rico promotion, what hot night and battle moon, which Bobby Jaggers was on that. Card. He tagged with Don Crawford some fifteen years after or some. Uh, eight years after this. So Bobby Jaggers was a fairly big name in Puerto Rican and Southern independent wrestling. And he had a pretty good match with Baba, really, didn't he?
1: Yeah, it got pretty violent. And then it suddenly goes to the outside where Baba's trying to unmask Jaggers, which seems like a bit of a dick move. And then <laughs> it here we real- go. Here comes the comedy antics as Ray Candy attacks Baba and then Funk comes out and attacks Candy and... <laughs> You'd also is behind... the match via count-out. <laughs> yes, Bobby
0: Jaggers was actually putting a foreign object in his mask to headbutt Babble with.
1: Which is a great idea, to be honest.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it It's an old Southern Heel comedy trick. And the daft thing is, like, Baba has this reputation for being the bastion and the conservative booker of the you know, the tradition of Japanese wrestling, but he did as much brawling and silly stuff as any other promoter ever has done in his life. It was only when he could afford to, and he hit upon a formula that works, that that really, like, made things work, that he kind of calmed down a bit. But back in the 70s and 80s, he wrestled blood death matches and all sorts, of no count-out, no DQ matches. Sorry, um,
1: sorry, 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 sorry. Did you just say Giant Baba wrestled death matches?
0: Yep, he wrestled... Cowboy Bill Watts in a no key DQ street fight in Tokyo in How 19... am I
1: not aware of this?
0: It's on YouTube. You can find it. There's blood everywhere.
1: That that sounds amazing. <laughs> How... Oh my god.
0: If you if you go back to the early days of the beginner's guide to Japan, me and Alex uh, Edwards did look at that match in depth, but you can still find I'm pretty sure you can still find it on YouTube. Bill Watts and Giant Baba in a street fight. It's quite quite remarkable. Uh, yeah, Bobby Jaggers is back in the ring and, and still hiding things in his mask. <laughs> and that's kind of that match. It was a bit silly. See, the, the thing is, the Championship Carnival become known later during the Four Pillars era for its like definitive finishes because Babel learned from his day, from the UWFI and from the shoot fighting companies that fans appreciate definitive finishes. And he worked out the booking system of King's Road based on definitive finishes whereas this tournament is entirely about protecting big names but not having them win
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's like baba's first like the two the first two baba matches in this video he either wins by count out or loses by count out
0: <laughs> yeah and it's the kind of things he would rally against in the late 80s and early 90s as he was building the promotion up to really take on new japan he realized it had to be Pinfalls and submissions were the way to go, and that's what wrestling should be about. And that's how you get stories over, and you build 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 guys up through winning and losing, because disqualifications and countouts don't really work; they're undefinitive. So Babbitt does sell for uh, Bobby Jaggers quite well there with
1: a, a big sore head. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: the next match on this particular show um, was
1: Rare Candy and Terry Funk.
0: Ray Candy and Terry Funk. And Terry is not happy. And takes Roy Candy to the outside. I haven't seen much of Roy Candy, to be honest with you. I had not come across the gentleman before. Let's see where he was from. But he's a good wrestler. I liked the stuff he was doing.
1: Yeah, this was this was a great sort of scrappy fight.
0: Yeah, you have to bear in mind, this was the year before Terry Funk's first retirement, when he was by far and away the biggest Gaijin name in Japan. This, he's think... selling
1: like a champ for this they're like throwing hands he's flying about all over the place things are getting pretty scrappy it's it's just a lot of big sort of punches and christ functionally just done a split on the apron. <laughs>
0: <laughs> ray candy was uh quite well known in surprise surprise puerto rico Um, He was uh, World Wrestling Council. He was a champion there. Uh, And he had a tag team with Elijah Rakeem. Was part of Skandor Akbar's Devastation Incorporated. Let's be honest, he wasn't. Um, (laughs) And was responsible for trading New Jack.
1: That's where I've heard the name.
0: Unfortunately, passed away in 1994
1: at the age of 45. I actually... I recently read a uh, New Jack's autobiography, and that's why I'm—I was the entire time I was watching this. I'm like, why does the name Ray Candy sound familiar? <laughs> and New Jack references the training and like being sad when he passed and things like that. It's—it all comes full circle.
0: Indeed, it does indeed. Uh, but he's a solid wrestler, and he's ragdolling Terry Funk with an armbar, which you don't see very often, to be honest with you.
1: <laughs> um, Honestly, this. This was great. I love the sort of slightly over the top, but still believable, just grudge fight style where it's like we're not going to do anything pretty. We're going to throw our hands, throw each other, and we're both going to look like we're partially dead. It's
0: <laughs> it was it was classic southern wrestling applied to a Japanese kind of uh, idea of wrestling, wasn't it? You know, and it I mean... went
1: down really well
0: yeah I mean the fans are more animated in later matches but they were certainly up for this Um, I did point out this morning that whilst I was uh, on Twitter after watching the Abdullah the Butcher versus Terry Funk match that the fans were not nowhere near as reserved as wrestling historians have led you to believe (laughs) Um, oh god
1: I just completely remembered a point I meant to make about the JWA stuff yeah carry on just because um in the nineteen sixties sort of footage, mm. they um quite craftily cut to fan shots, like shots of the crowd every now and then. They make sure there's a woman in like every second or third crowd cut. Yes. Is that that was gonna be my sort of big smoking gun to the oh well it's mostly male audience thing and I completely forgot it.
0: It is, yeah. I they were undoubtedly picking those women out. <laughs> But yes, I mean, I've, I, I'm I, not saying it was completely male, but it was largely male. Um, and whereas the old Japan show here, it's it's still largely male, but there's a lot more female presence, isn't there? You can hear by the screaming. Yeah. <laughs> especially in the Abdullah-Terry Funk match we'll talk about later, because as I just pointed out on Twitter, it sounded like at least three people got conceived during this match. Um Yeah, this is corking, and you should watch it just for this match. This match is well worth it. Ray Candy's really having a crack at Terry Funk.
1: Terry Funk is doing what he does best, selling death. Selling like death. Yeah, and it goes on a farewell.
0: It's by far the longest match on this particular show video. So I can't remember who won, actually. I'm guessing Terry did. Uh, Farewell,
1: I'll just skip ahead in the.
0: Yeah, I'm skipping ahead. Yeah, Terry, I think Terry gets the
1: win. I've skipped too far and I'm just looking at static. <laughs> yeah.
0: Terry gets the win and then gets attacked by Abdullah Butcher for his trouble. <laughs> no,
1: this, this was it. It was kind of like a bloody continuous Tom and Jerry cartoon the entire time. It's just Abby and Terry Funk continuously interrupting other matches because they're attacking each other.
0: And then Dick Slater comes to save Terry Funk.
1: Cause it's like, in the next match, in the playlist, Baba versus Funk, the same thing happens again.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a classy little wrestling match until Abdullah turns up.
1: Aye, it's. I mean, there's a there's a lot of walking and headlocks, but I mean, it's giant Baba, and he looks intimidating as hell whilst he's walking around <laughs> making mincemeat of your head and smiling. Oh,
0: I mean, Baba could still go at this point. He wasn't in his, like, early 70s heyday when he could actually really, really go, you know. Because you have to bear in mind with Baba, he'd had a 10-year bas- baseball career before he started as a pro wrestler. I'm so not he... taking.
1: If anything, I'm, I'm more impressed about the fact that it, he can do, like, three, four-minute headlock spots and me not get bored of it. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, he... it's, it's a talent. His wrestling
0: IQ... Is there's very few people who had the say that level of wrestling IQ. If I'd Vince McMahon, possibly. I don't know of anyone who didn't who knew how the wrestling business worked better than Giant Baba. In the context of where he was, in the context of how to make matches work, how to tell stories and how to make money. There were times when AJPW was bloody awful, and this was one of those times when it wasn't great. However, he grew and he learned and he figured out what made money and what didn't, and he developed the biggest money-making professional wrestling promotion there ever was, and probably ever will be. You can say the WWE makes more money than all Japan does now, but actually on LiveGate, just selling tickets, no one made more money than Giant Baba, and no one ever will make more money than Giant Baba.
1: Well, if you just if you want to sort of look at the impact he had across the entire industry, just go back to look at how many companies and how many wrestlers got involved in the Giant Baba Memorial show last year? Was it last year? Yeah, yeah. It was,
0: uh, yeah, yeah.
1: You had veterans coming out of retirement for that show. You had New Japan working with other companies. You had All Japan. You had There was just so much stuff there all to commemorate Baba and the impact he had on the, in- the business. Yeah. And even I... now, in the sort of low point of All Japan, there's still credible wrestling, credible matches, names, and... I mean, there's the sort of inanity of the cartoonish antics that sometimes run through and ruin matches, but at its core, there's still great wrestling.
0: Yeah, this is the foundation of what the King's Road was built on. And look how many King's Road companies there have been. And you could argue that New Japan Pro Wrestling became a King's Road company. We don't consider New Japan Pro Wrestling matches good anymore unless they have intricately layered stories that last 30 minutes to 40 minutes. And that's giant Baba, not Antonio Inoki. You know, the influence of all Japan and the all Japan story upon new Japan pro wrestling, because ghetto and Jeddo came from an all Kings row background because they were wing wrestlers, which was a Kings row company. They were FMW wrestlers, which was a Kings row company. They did all of these things outside of new Japan before they got there. And it's the Baba tradition, not the Inoki tradition, that rules in New Japan these days. In my opinion, really. Um, but yeah, Baba and Terry Funk was actually quite an entertaining little wrestling match. And it went really, really well until Abdullah the Butcher stuck
1: his Ori. Yeah, we got the, um, the Abdullah squad coming in. and It's not even the fact that he attacks Funk. It's the fact that Funk just runs after him. He's like, right, tournament went against... Baba or chase down Abdullah the Butcher and cave his head in I'm going to do the latter and then get confused when I've lost the match and Baba's kind of just laying in the ring just like, ha well, that was easy
0: yes Um, but yeah, but equally when Abdullah wrestles um, yeah, it's kind of like the payback for uh, Abdullah versus Terry which is also shown on this particular video trip When uh, Abdullah wrestles Baba, Terry does the run-in to distract to make sure that Baba gets the win.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they've got this continuous vicious cycle of them just costing each other victories. (laughs) It's entertaining, but at the same time, when you think of AJPW, that's not the stuff you think about.
0: No, it's not. It's not the comedy characters or, you know, I mean, like, they were the right guys. Terry Funk is is one of the greatest wrestlers ever. If you want a crowd to come back week on week, you get Terry Funk. I remember Dusty Rhodes saying about him on a WWE roundtable. He was talking to um, the the I think he was. he said he was, he was wrestling in somewhere in Tennessee or something, and he said on the Thursday night, Dory Funk ter- turns up as world heavyweight champion, and there's 1,500 people in the arena, 2,000 people in the arena. He wrestles for an hour, and there's a standing ovation. And then the following night, Terry Funk was there for 30 seconds and caused a riot. You know, that's Terry Funk. He can do all of that stuff, and he's just the right guy for this environment, even though this tournament is becoming awfully convoluted um, because of Bizarre booking to be honest with you But it's understandable it, booking when you get to the final
1: It almost feels like the bloody Inspiration for The um bullet club Firing squad G1 Doesn't it?
0: It does really yeah
1: Where this core group of people just Continuously mess up matches
0: Yeah That's pretty much it really um, But yeah Abdullah and Terry is as violent As you think it is to the point where they actually cut away... They both get disqualified, because that was going to happen. Um, they actually cut away from the match when Abdullah breaks a bottle and goes after Terry with a broken bottle. Um, and they actually cut away and just use stills because it's too violent <laughs> to put on television. <laughs> Which it was. It's just insane, really.
1: It's like they, they knew that they had to give like a really good sort of payoff for all the sort of interference and shenanigans in previous matches. And they did give you what you wanted, an absolute grudge match.
0: Yeah. And Terry is so over. I'm watching him walk to the ring at the minute, and he literally cannot get to the ring because there's too many people who want to pat his back and give him a handshake and a hug. He can't and basically get his...
1: N- nobody wants anything to do with Abdullah. They're just like, no.
0: <laughs>
1: You're a well, dick, don't...
0: Yeah, and then it's Terry the Funk versus Abdul the Butcher for the 7,000th time. But it was a match that would make money in Bethnal Green or Timbuktu. To be honest with you, I would stick Abdul the Butcher and Terry Funk on any card anywhere, and it will make money hand over fist.
1: It's because they both know how to work with each other. There is that much animosity there, and there is, they're both just completely <laughs> sort of almost self-destructively determined to kill each other.
0: Quite good mates, though.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, usually the worst of enemies in ring are the best of mates behind the scenes.
0: Of course they are. It's just a brilliant match. It works really, really well. Uh, And then we go from the sublime to the absolutely ridiculous of Ted DiBiase at age 12 wrestling Rocky Hatter. In perhaps the most boring wrestling match I've watched in quite some time.
1: <laughs> it, it, it is just a lot of of arm work that then gets ignored by Hatter anyway.
0: Yeah, Ted DiBiase tries his level best of a proper wrestling match by breaking down a single body part, and then Hatter no sells everything.
1: <laughs> it's, it's like I I used to have a mate who was like really picky about sort of if someone locks in a submission and it. Then it's suddenly just ignored. It it's pointless. And I used to say like, ah, if you if you're invested in the match, you can ignore it enough. In this case, I was just kind of like, well, what was the point of all the arm work? Yeah,
0: because <laughs> it's just, yeah, and Ted DiBiase. like this was nineteen eighty. Ted DiBiase, so he'd been going for two years, and he is green as grass. There's However, no
1: ferocity to any of it either. He, he's just right textbook called a textbook called b textbook called c reversal first textbook called d there's there's no energy or anything it's like what would happen if you booked an ai to program a wrestling match and it just did what it thought it needed to work it's to be,
0: to be fair i mean this is the thing everyone remembers the million dollar man as a character but can you name one good match he had
1: Eh, not really, because he's a bit higher uh, before my time. <laughs> I've yeah, seen the promos and the the packages yeah. and the the sort of buy-offs and stuff, but I very few of his matches actually.
0: Yeah, his matches aren't. His best period for excitement was his time with Bill Watts in Mid South, where he was a fiery babyface. He was Southern Mid South champion. He was their top draw, and then turned heel and had a brilliant run as a heel as a heel tag team with PAX or jim duggan of all people but it really worked and they were kind of like there was a lot of like he was the ideal bill watts guy and later on in his career he was picked by stan hansen to replace bruiser Brody in the tag team in all japan pro wrestling and he considered it the greatest honor of his career and he was a lot fierier then too but his early days he is just vanilla and really vanilla not long after this He would go to the WWF or WWWF as it was then as the North American champion, champion on arrival. And that would become part of the Intercontinental Championship when he lost to Pat Patterson. He was the South American champion after going through 16 men in Rio de Janeiro. That's Vince's idea of humour. It's Pat Patterson's game. Um, I think uh, this
1: match would have just worked a hell of a lot better had Hatter actually like tried to work with D.B.R.C.
0: It is like it is like you're jobbing. Ah, oh, I'd best not try then. It's
1: it's like you you've got this young wrestler who's got enough technical acumen to give you a decent match. He's working a limb. He's trying to make it as functional as possible. Give like either sell or be a dick to make it so that he's fighting against something. Don't just right lay down and let him block up my arm again. Oh, I've got to fight out of this for a second. Oh, don't mind me. Ugh. It's, <laughs> it's as dreary to watch as it is dreary to describe.
0: It's 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 like world well, of sport wrestling, except boring.
1: <laughs> There's. There's no charisma, there's no stakes There's no drama Like hell, the Young Lions do something similar to this And they have more entertaining matches Because they've got the fire to realise Right, we've got to Sort of put on a masterclass here Whereas this is This is DiBiase trying to do the same With a person who couldn't give two shits
0: (laughs) Yeah um, it, It just was not good All ends up it was painful. Uh, it's, I know, it's not It's not Ted DiBiase's fault. He's trying.
1: Yeah, he's... Like, he's making it as crisp as possible. Like, the technical skills there, uh, there's just nothing from the opponent.
0: No, there's a short-arm scissor, and, like, DiBiase's got it hooked in tight, but he looks like he's, he's just like, oh, I can't be bothered, because nothing's happening for
1: him. There's no sort of, like... Like, when... When you lock in a submission, you want to see your opponent in pain. You want to know that there's there's impact there, that there's tension, that if they don't escape, they're either going to lose the arm or. But here, it's just kind of like, oh cool! I just get to lie down. Up, oh, my arm's at a slightly awkward angle. Oh, it's going to fall asleep, but no harm done. <laughs>
0: right then, shall we have a look at the final standings of the 1980 Championship Carnival?
1: Yeah, I I can't believe we we spent so much time on that match.
0: <laughs> <laughs> In last place, as one would expect, Carl Fergie. Uh, Matoshi Akuma, who we've not talked about, uh, he got two points. The Great Kajika, he got four points. Oh, Great Kajika is a very important man to you, John. Do you know yeah, why? The
1: founder of BJW. There you go.
0: Amazingly, Rocky Hatter got four points. <laughs> uh, wow. the- Mysterious Assassin, uh, that'd be Bobby Ruggers, uh, Bobby Jaggers, sorry. He got six points. Ray Candy got eight points. I think that was fair from the matches we saw of him. Ted DiBiase got 12 points. Um, and then Tiger Taguchi, or Kim Duck, who's probably better known as, uh, got 15 points. And then you go into the sharp end. Giant Baba got 17 points. Terry Funk got 18 points, but they did spend an awful lot of time pissing about with Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, 18 points went to Abdullah the Butcher, which which left the final two in first place, Dick Slater, and in second place, Jumbo Saruta on 19 points, which meant there had to be a final and a playoff for the championship between dirty Dick Slater and Jumbo Saruta. Now, I'll tell you, when you want an honest and earnest babyface baby versus babyface thriller to produce for your final match of the biggest tournament of the year, Dirty Dick Slater is not the guy I think of. <laughs> but having said that, this was a really good wrestling match. And Dick really proved to me he could actually go at a proper technical level because normally all I've seen of Dick Slater is brawl 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 with more brawling if that makes sense
1: he was fighting with one eye as well oh yeah he had an
0: eye patch so he was protected too (laughs) i presumably had spiked him at some point
1: yeah this this genuinely was a really good technical match it had see this is where the sort of things i was criticizing the DBRC match for approved like correct because there is a hell of a lot of submissions in this match and a hell of a lot of holds and a hell of a lot of technical pinfall attempts whilst locking in submission holds. But it's all dramatic. You can feel the sort of...
0: There's fire to it.
1: Yeah, like, I made the joke to you, I think uh, Sarata's got the Saruta has got the most animated Boston crab I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's like he was trying to air hump at invisible people. I just... <laughs> <laughs> he would make Rick Rude jealous with the motions going with that Boston Crab.
0: But he was trying. He was, uh, Dick Slater as well sold everything the way he meant to. And it, as as a babyface versus babyface matchup, you couldn't get anything better than this. It's like watching a versus Tanahashi now, but slowed down. They aren't as good as them two But you know, it it's great. And Saruta had that ability to turn it on when he need to needed to. He was a really good worker, and Slater is a really good worker because he knows his limitations and doesn't try anything he doesn't. He's not going to, not going to be comfortable with, but gets the best out of Saruta, and Saruta gets the best out of him. This is way better than it should be considering the people involved.
1: Yeah, I again as someone who enjoys technical wrestling and UFI rules and things like that, sometimes if you give me like a thirty minute match which is just submissions then yeah, I'll occasionally get bored of it. But here, not the case. It it felt almost animated. I'll say animated despite a lot of the match being like ground game stuff.
0: Yeah, it was a chess match. That was really what it was. And it worked really, really well. And the fans absolutely loved it. And that kind of wraps up our coverage of the classic tournaments of Japanese history for today. We hope it gets you in the mood for more G1 action or just to watch some really weird old wrestling and how to protect your top stars. <laughs> Whilst I mean, making- the,
1: the 2020 Champions Carnival is going on at the moment as well. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, the 2020 Championship Carnival, the, n, uh, the N1, the n which is Noah's big tournament, and the G1, which is New Japan's big tournament, all on at the same time. You're a spoil for choice with the amount of professional wrestling. Marvelous,
1: he a... were clever. They, they did that last month.
0: Yeah, probably a good idea to get it out of the way. Uh, Marvelous had a big card this morning as well. There's lots of wrestling going on in Japan now with things opening up a slightly more and you can get people back in the arenas and stuff. So it's nice to see that COVID isn't really having a big effect with the country as much as it used to. And hopefully they'll start filling those arenas. Meanwhile, us here, we could all be stuck at home by the end of next week. Anywho.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got quite lucky. They um, they are locking down the northeast again, but my town apparently, despite not normally being, has been a bastion of good. <laughs> <laughs> Wear your damn mask, people. Do us a favour.
0: Yeah, I, I was in Liverpool this afternoon and it was a horrific experience because people were just stood on top of each other. I have literally never seen it that busy. Like, I have been in Lidl on a Sunday afternoon for the last 10 years, never seen that many people in a supermarket at one place. You'd have thought they were going to run out of stuff.
1: I mean, if if there's another lockdown, then they might.
0: Well, I suppose that was the possibility of what could happen. But it, it's like it's not like you won't be allowed in the shops. <laughs> we're running out of toilet paper again at this rate. Yeah. Anyway. Uh... That's enough of us complaining and the fact that uh, some of our fellow countrymen are stupid um, uh, and some of them are in the government. But anywho, <laughs> let's not go down that road. Because <laughs> it's fighting like shooting fish in a barrel.
1: Thank you the very people much. People fucking the country and not doing their job right.
0: <laughs> this is not a babaresque performance from our bookers, I must admit.
1: Uh...
0: Uh, <clears throat> you know what? If Giant Baba was actually prime minister of this country, everything would be awesome and last 45 minutes. That's what would happen.
1: I mean, the thing <laughs> that makes me laugh is that Sushi Onita was a politician. Well, was he, though? <laughs> I mean, technically?
0: <laughs> technically, he was a smokesperson for sexual health. A guy with hepatitis B was a smokesperson for someone with sexual health. A man who had somewhere in the reach of a thousand lovers he so far claimed and was fired from his post as a uh, bastion of sexual health for having a threesome with a government employee and a porn star.
1: Is he really a politician? I mean, he's a cautionary tale.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do as I do. Do as I say, not do as I do. Hiro Hase, of all Japan and New Japan fame, is a politician and works in the Education Office. And Antonio Noki, of course, was part of the diet. Lots of wrestlers go into politics in Japan as they do in the States, like Kane, who is the mayor of a small town in Kansas. <laughs> and Rick Steiner, who was a town councillor as well. And oh, Matt Morgan, he, he's run for mayor. Now he's running for county commissioner at the next election.
1: So there you
0: go. Anywho, thank you for listening to the Troopini Show today on that little roundabout of politics in the world of wrestling. Um, uh, Burt Royal British wrestler was a councillor in Bolton my name's James Troopany you can listen you can listen to me you can speak to me on the Twitter at Sheriff Lone Style. John where can we find you on the internet sir
1: you can find me under John Deathman at Twitter you can just look for the writer of Gar username <laughs> because I decided to rebrand at random I'll probably change it again in two weeks there you'll see me tweet about death matches ddt mlw all sorts of random nonsense feel free to drop some like talk to us there if you really want to it'll probably just be to tell me that my jwa opinions are wrong or that i'm an idiot for not watching ajpw but (laughs) by all means and obviously stay tuned to steel chair where you can find all the reviews and writing work there
0: you go Thank you very much for listening to us today. You can find The Troopany Show at Troopany Show on Twitter, The Troopany Show on Facebook, and on Patreon, where you can keep The Troopany Show free forever. For everyone, please go have a check out of powerslam.tv where you'll get a free month if you use the code MULLETWATCH, uh, which has made people laugh for the last year, ever since we started using it. And there's some corking mullets available in this year's G1, where we'll be back to you on Thursday. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Bye.